Yeah, I'm surprised that wasn't number one. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I guess I guess you need the goals before you can get the government. So I guess you- Hello and welcome to episode 122 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is the marketing and the F is the world you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Trusker. I'm no rock star, but I've picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from techie to CMO and trusted advisor. And each week I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums, and share with you some marketing street knowledge that I hope will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was recorded on Friday the 8th of July. If you're in the US, hope you enjoyed the holiday. And for all of you, hope you've had a good week. You're well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff is on vacation, so Kathy McKnight is stepping in to discuss building digital success. My guest is James Shearer, VP of Growth at Content Marketing Agency Codeless. And I wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment with Jeff Away, I'm joined by Kathy McKnight. You may remember I chatted with her a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to have her back to dig into some of the ideas she shared at the recent Content Tech event. Welcome back, Kathy, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm well, Ian. Thanks for having me back. Well, absolutely. And um, I wouldn't say you're replacing Jeff but uh, for, for a couple of weeks while he's on holiday, but I think maybe I, I think I've upgraded. Oh, well, well, thank you. I mean, Jeff is, I, I am honored to be able to step into those big shoes. Um, figuratively speaking, I have no idea how big his feet are. Um, but um, th- thanks for trusting me in, in holding down the fort for, uh, for his spot Absolutely. while he's on holiday. Absolutely. And I, I assume while he's on holiday, he probably won't listen to the show. So I can say what I like. There you go. <laughs> I won't tell. Okay. Cassie, for a start, tell us a little bit about yourself for people that haven't listened for the last couple of weeks and heard you on the show. So who is Cathy McKnight? So again, my name is Cathy McKnight. I am the chief problem solver with the content advisory and one of the drivers of uh, Experience Advisors, our new uh, content um, space, uh, NFT, all that kind of thing, Web 3.0. Um, we, I am a content strategist and content operations um, thought leader, I guess somebody called me recently. So I'll go with that. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, proud Canadian and big Habs fan. So Excellent. 
Yeah, I think when it comes to being thought leader, it's best somebody else describes you as that. Otherwise, you're describing yourself as cool, aren't you? So well, you yeah. <laughs> somebody else did call me that, so I'm going to hold on to it. <laughs> Splendid. Yeah, called a thought leader once. Yes, Excellent. once. Um, and as you mentioned, you're in Canada. You're speaking to us from Toronto. I am indeed. Great. Yes. And we always start with the weather. So how's the weather in Toronto? You know what? It's a bit gloomy today. We've had some stellar warm weather, lots of sunshine, but um, mm-hmm. it's a bit overcast. No rain. We had rain yesterday, but it's uh, it's nice to to actually have a break from the sun um, today. <laughs> Not something you hear us say in the UK very often, but we're having a bit of a, a cloudy day as well. So Oh, it looks quite so bright behind we- you. Yes. Well, that's the, um, that's the weather sorted out. And then I've, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to have you back on because when we spoke uh, last time, we talked a lot about your podcast, which was fascinating. But we actually had two things we were going to cover from your presentations at Content Tech, which was uh, a couple of weeks ago now. And um, you gave a couple of presentations. I thought it'd be great if we could just do an episode on each of those presentations. So I think the first presentation... And how did it go at Content Tech, by the way? Did you enjoy it? Oh, it was great. Um, Small event. You know, we're still struggling with travel challenges and spontaneous COVID outbreaks and whatnot. So, um, but the people that were there were amazing. The attendees engaged, had fabulous conversations. And then, of course, um, we curate such a great uh, speaker lineup. So it was wonderful to be able to get some, some good FaceTime with pretty much everybody that was there. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit of a who's who from what I saw on the socials. So. Well, and, and San Diego Fantastic. in spring, you know, can't <laughs> complain can about that. that. No, absolutely. So the first of the presentations you gave, um, and I need to get this right, is seven things to consider in building a bedrock for long-term digital success. That wasn't so bad, was it? No, very well After done. our rehearsal. <laughs> so what, a, so, I mean, this is, this is, we love these on, on this show. It's a nice list. It's easy for me to ask you about. So what are the seven things we need to consider? So this was a presentation that I did alongside a previous client from the American Mm -hmm. Nurses Association. So Novella Green and I presented on this and really, you know, it was a it was a bit of a story from their experience. They've been going through a digital transformation like so many other organizations ongoing seven years now. But what we thought was, you know what, there's some commonality as we started looking at the presentation and and what we were going to talk about. We we very much, you know, I said, okay, I'm seeing this across the board. You know, these are not isolated things for mm. ANA. This is most organizations go through this. So we started off talking about, you know, defining success. You got to know where the destination is. It can't just be, hey, let's go into digital transformation, which Ian, shockingly, organizations do. We need to, we need to transform digitally. They don't know why. They don't know what for. They don't have an end game. It's just everybody is doing it, so let's jump on the bandwagon. So clarity of what success looks like, how it's going to be measured, and overall an agreement with the stakeholders. So digital transformation, when done well is impacts the entire organization. It's not just about the marketing team. It's not just about IT upgrading MarTech stack and and getting things connected and whatnot. It really is about transforming the way the organization works internally as well as engages with their audience. Right. So, so when you're, so the first one is getting those goals and it, so that's organizational goals, right? Not just marketing and Correct. those kinds of things. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. overall, you know, transformation is, is messy and, and we'll get into that yeah. in one of the other, yeah. the one other, one of the other steps, but it's, yeah. it really does impact the overall organization. So you need yeah. agreement on that. And in order to get that agreement, everybody has to understand 
what it is that you're doing. So the second point, the second step is the democratization of knowledge. So when you think about the knowledge iceberg, you have Mm -hmm. the knowledge that everybody knows, right? Everybody sees it, it's published, it's accessible, et cetera. And then you have that first layer underneath the water of the iceberg. So everybody still sees the iceberg. They may not know (laughs) it. They may Mm -hmm. not have, you know, may not be able to touch it, but they know where to find it. Right. If they need it. And then you have that, that tacit knowledge, that knowledge that you and I garner Mm. through doing and learning and creating. And we have our own little tips and tricks. You know, you, you press the control option three and F4 in order for something to magically happen on a Mac, right? Like it's those things that you learn that it's this sort of unknown knowledge that everybody should really know, but it's Mm -hmm. really hard to capture and document and share. So democratizing as much of that iceberg of, of knowledge across the board when in terms of technology and process and procedures and information and governance, Mm. having that baseline of knowledge. So maybe lowering the water level on that iceberg a little bit, including everybody in access. So one of the challenges we see often is, you know, people are asking, well, why should somebody have access to that module of the learning management Mm. system? Or why should somebody have access to a, a BI business intelligence tool? I always drive people to say, well, why shouldn't they? You know, are you going to give people access to the HRIS? Absolutely not. Not suggesting that you do. Or the FI module of your ERP? Not happening. Mm. But Mm -hmm. when it comes to knowledge, like who cares? Who knows what about your technology or how to do things? If if somebody's curious enough to go in and dig about it, let them at it. Yeah, no, and I, and also like when you're looking for people to expand and change jobs and move and things like that, it, that proactive learning is is great. Yes. And, and I've also seen an article on. Um, I know we'll talk about contentadvisory.net. We're bound to mention it later, but I think you've got an article on that iceberg on contentadvisory.net, which I will add as a link to the show notes. Thank you very much. So, first goals. Second is democratization of knowledge. What's your third tip? Establishing cl- clear governance. Anybody who yeah. knows me knows I am a <laughs> governance and ops geek. Yeah. Own it. Happy to be called it. I have no problem with it. But again, yeah. having that, that clarity on something like a racy model mm-hmm. for all of the things that need to be done with regards to digital transformation, not only the activities of transformation, but coming out of the transformation, who's going to own mm-hmm. what? Who's yeah. going to be looking at the metrics that are being measured and defining success and reporting back as to what's working, what's not, what needs to change? Um, mm. Documentation. Who's responsible for that? Getting it documented typically isn't the challenge. It's keeping the documentation up to date and current, mm. right? Which supports back to the democratization of knowledge. And then yeah. focus. You cannot boil the ocean, right? If you want to do yeah. that, you got to do it a bucket at a time. So where are you, what's the focus? What are the primary activities? What's the racy for that? And, and that continuous movement forward, uh, digital transformation. It's interesting. Often it's a co-share effort. So Mm -hmm. different parts Mm -hmm. of the org own different parts of the process, but there isn't an active PMO or PM that's actually responsible for keeping all, all of the trains running. Right. right. Everybody's right. sort of, okay, here's what needs to get done. It gets divvied yeah. up and, and pushed out. Some of the trains are, you know, the express and happening and they're full steam ahead. Mm-hmm. And there's other ones mm-hmm. that are, you know, the, the project started two years ago and they haven't left the station Chugging along, because yeah. there's no accountability. Yeah. So that governance yeah. is super, super, super important. 
Yeah. Um, knowing you, Kathy, I'm surprised that wasn't number one. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I guess I guess you need the goals before you can get the governance. So I Correct. guess you got that. Yeah, right. yeah. So what's number four? It's expectations. Setting a roadmap, ah, understanding yeah. budget, and communication. So yeah. it's all fine and well to say you're going to be doing this. You need to let yeah. people know what's happening. You need to let yeah. people know how they're going, how and if they're going to be impacted and when. Yeah. Um, yeah. And budget, who's responsible for what? We've actually been in, in engagements where our, our work with the client is part of that digital transformation. So getting their content sorted mm. and getting a strategy mm. in place and helping them set up governance and looking at their technology stack. And then it comes time to invest in that new body or bodies that mm. we need for the governance mm. model or a connective piece of technology for, you know, for yeah. different parts of the MarTech stack to, to speak with each other or to access the data. And then all of a sudden, you know, two things we, uh, the, the, whoever's the leader of the project will say, okay, so, you know, who's, who's up for, for taking this on? And literally yeah. everybody pushes back from the table. We've, we've <laughs> physically seen that. And then it's okay. So it's going to come out of, you know, we're going to distribute this out of your budget and your budget and your budget. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden everybody who was on side 30 seconds ago are like, Oh wait, no, 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 no. My budget's yeah. spoken for. Right. So yeah. that, that, you know, being, being clear, that clarity, which could be applied yeah. to all of the steps um yeah. really setting expectations is essential but you can't really do that until you know what you're doing what success looks like and then the ownership so hence yeah. why it's number four yeah oh absolutely and i mean it ties so much into the goals and what you were saying at the beginning which is why are we doing this right and that and that there are organizations that think oh i just need to digitally transform but haven't really defined what does that mean so i think that's interesting about the expectations of well, this is what it means for us. And this is what it's going to mean for you. And by the way, you might have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way. <laughs> so what's number five? Uh, number five is um, know how to leverage your data. So okay. um, again, similar to the democratization of knowledge, it's the democratization yeah. of data is right. not siloing off you know, that's my data, that's sales data, that's marketing data, that's admin data, that's R&D data. Yeah. You know, there's very little secret sauce that if you let somebody from outside your team look at the data, that's going to bring you down. It's not bringing the house yeah. down, right? So yeah. if nothing else, it's going to give you a different perspective and point of view that maybe you hadn't mm -hmm. thought of before. You know, mm -hmm. the sort of wisdom of the crowd approach, which I think absolutely applies to data when it comes to that. Um, and make it easy. So connect the dots for people. When we yeah. see so many orgs that have these great technologies like Tableau, where you can have these wonderful dashboards mm -hmm. and they'll have one and they'll have one for everybody, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, what a C-suite person wants to see versus what the next level down, which, you know, yeah. um, a, a divisional or a, um, a team manager versus a tactician those are all different levels of detail mm -hmm. and insights that they're going to be looking for. So make it easy, build them a dashboard, which may yeah. not be easy, but it's totally worth the investment. So people will actually go and look, they may not dig, but they're going to go actually and look at it because it's, it's mm -hmm. there and it's easy for them. So, you know, that whole easy button thing when it comes to data. Oh, oh, for, oh for sure. I mean, um, in my day job, that's exactly the approach I've taken with the Martin dashboards is if you try and automate them, get the data into something like that, get Google Data Studio or Tableau, then it's much easier for everybody. And then you can just say to the executive, just go and have a look at it. You know, I don't need to spend 
half a day putting together a report. Plus, what I also liked was this democratization of because the customer doesn't see us as sales and marketing or customer service, but there may be data points in each of those engagements, might there, that will help with that digital transformation of, hang on, guys, you know, let's bring this together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's number five, leveraging your data. Number six, my God, we're trotting through these, aren't we? we? This are. is rather well. And there's a bonus far. one too. So, um, oh, splendid. <laughs> there's always a bonus one, right? Um, roadmap your technology. Uh-huh. So technology, MarTech in particular, has been, become particularly easy to acquire and use. Yeah. So yeah. there are many situations, and anyone listening, if you're an owner of IT or marketing tech, um, this is a particularly appropriate for you is know what's out there. So do an audit. I can guarantee you there is somebody on the marketing team, on the content team, on the comms team who have taken the path of least resistance is paying Mm -hmm. the 20 or 30 or $50 a month out of their own pocket. And they're not expensing it because it makes their life easier. And to go through procurement to get that would take them years. So you know what? Suck it up. I don't care. It makes my life easier. And I'll pay for it myself. It is happening and it's happening everywhere. So understand where that is happening, but also look at the official tech stack. What do you have of what you're having? What are you using? We still see so many orgs who have, you know, if there's a list of 50 things that their tech can do, they're using 20 of them. Yeah. Consistently, there might be another 10 they're dabbling in, but they're certainly not leveraging the power that they have, particularly in terms of artificial intelligence, which just makes every marketer's life easier um, and lets them do the fun stuff, right? The innovation and the creative side of things. So know what your technology stack looks like. What do you have? What are you using? Look at the gaps. What are you trying to do? And does your current tech fill those gaps? We're seeing more of that analysis happening before going out into an acquisition and procurement um, project to get more technology to say, okay, what do we have? And can we fill what, what people are looking for with what we have? Sometimes you can't, sometimes you can, but yeah. you know, start with what you have. Uh, we, we have this conversation quite often on this podcast. And I think that there are two great benefits to this. One of them is um, you can save a shitload of money. <laughs> right? <laughs> and for a marketer, especially right now, uh, you know, shaving off some budget out of your tech budget and putting it somewhere else could have an excellent rewards. And the other thing is, is we tend to have been a bit relaxed about requirements gathering and the procuring <sighs> against requirements Sorry. when we brought these things in, right? So I agree with your analogy that there's somebody there that's spending 20 bucks their own, out of their own pocket. But there's also plenty of products that are like 200 bucks a month that are actually coming through out of your marketing budget because it became under a threshold. Nobody paid attention. But now we've got another content repository or we've got another place where our customers' details are. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a mess. It is a mess. Um, yeah. There is, even for those organizations that know what they have in their stack that really lock down what people use, Mm-hmm. They're not leveraging what they have. No. And I think that overbuying thing is something that we see a lot, isn't it? Yes. And is it, is it overbuying because uh, people believe that their requirements are higher than they are at the time of procurement? Or is it that, um, is, it, is there some fault of the vendors in terms of what they're selling them? It's twofold. So it's, it's the mm-hmm. aspirational. We really yeah. want to be that company. We really want to be doing that. <laughs> And personalization. Yeah, yeah, personalization <laughs> at scale. Um, and it's also the vendors come in and they're like, oh, yeah, what you're mm. looking for, we can totally do that now. Not a problem. Easy peasy, yeah. good to go. But have you seen this? 
Yeah. You know, and it's the ooh and ah and wow. And of course, everybody in the room is, yeah, 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 yeah. I want that. I want that. I want, well, yeah, you know what? Yeah. You are, you're, you're still, you know, 2010. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not 2024. So, you know, buy yeah. for 2015 and yeah. build up to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. So that was uh, number six. And, and tech are always a popular topic. Uh, well, anyway, when I start talking, <laughs> so, I was going to say, always a popular topic on this podcast. And I realize I'm the host of this podcast. So it's, always, it's probably my fault. So what's number seven? Uh, evolve rather than trans- transform. So evolution uh, is infinitely yeah. more manageable yeah. and uh, less scary and yeah. uh, inexpensive comparatively mm-hmm. to transformation. Transformation yeah. is anxiety-filled, rushed, yeah. expensive, pressure-filled. It's, it's hard. It's so much mm-hmm. more difficult. So pace your path. Look at your roadmap. Look at your roadmap, not only from a, here's our ultimate destination and when we'd like to get there, but break it down into what are things that we can get done right away. And it may not mm-hmm. be a priority, but show quick wins. If you can get it done, get it done. If it's not throwing anything off the path, if there's not a dependency, if it's not something maybe that, you know, on a, on a 10 item priority to do list, it's maybe mm-hmm. like eight or nine or even 11. If it's yeah. honestly going to take you two weeks and it's going to help, just yeah. get it done. Right. Yeah. There, you yeah. just, but, tr- but let the evolution happen so that mm-hmm. the company can come along with you. When you start radical change, that's when people yeah. start digging in their heels and going, no. Right. Or I don't want to do it or being a naysayer saying this isn't going to work. If you show them how the the progression can happen and keep in mind that can be accelerated. Once you start getting momentum, it's like a rock down a hill. Right. That Mm -hmm. first little bit is hard. But once you get rolling, things happen because people get excited and they like the change and they like the improvements. Nice. I like that. And I'm hearing in here a bit of agile as well, doing it in little sprints and, and moving forward. Oh, yeah. The yeah. Try, up, fail, right? learn, Absolutely. move on. Yeah. Yeah. Splendid. So that was our original seven, but you said you got a bonus? Yes. So the bonus one, which really over. Is this, is this a bonus just for us or was this a bonus you shared? No, it's a bonus that I shared with everybody. Um, <laughs> and, it's, and I don't know if it's a bonus or if it's the, the baseline upon which, mm-hmm. you know, the hole in which this is all dug. It's yes. be customer centric. It's audience oh. first, always. Yeah. So yeah. the transformation you are doing needs to be because it's going to make you a better um, purveyor to your audiences. Mm-hmm. It is going to enable yeah. you to provide better experiences, to engage with them better in their terms. Um, mm. Think beyond digital. Digital transformation or transformation is not just about digital. You have to think yeah. about all the connectivity and all the different um, places you will meet your audience both yes. yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, and think about composability. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. The more you yeah, can yeah. transform so that they are Lego blocks that can be interchanged and mm-hmm. replaced with least disruption. You know, we think back to the mm-hmm. monolithic content mm-hmm. management systems where you would switch them over either for a good reason, because you're off mm-hmm. upgrade path or because it's end of life or yeah. for a, what I think is a crazier reason because the CM, new CMO wants it. <laughs> a new website. Ian, CMO, Ian. Um, but <laughs> I've never done that. I've never swapped out a CMS just because I arrived. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> never done it. Um, but if you think about it and move, you don't have to retro everything, but as you move yeah. forward, if you build it in such a way that 
there the connectivity is clear and that you can mm. swap and replace or blend more easily so that it's mm. not such spaghetti code where if you like pull one cord that's it the whole thing unravels mm. um that really is the way to move forward yeah yeah no i love that i love that and um so there we are we've got eight we've got goals democratization of knowledge establish clear governance expectations leverage your data roadmap your technology and do an audit evolve rather than transform so this should be really digital evolution shouldn't it we should have called this uh, and then above all be customer centric that's a perfect list thank you very much kathy you're very welcome. and we already talked about the fact your democratization of knowledge iceberg is features on your website yes. tell us where that is so um it's content advisory one word dot net mm -hmm. um and uh everything you could ever want to read about content and <laughs> content marketing and Apparently, content uh, or knowledge icebergs are is on our side. <laughs> Fabulous! And did they record these uh, sessions at Content Tech? Or I believe they did. So, if you go yeah. to um, CMI uh, Content yeah. Marketing Institute or yeah. Content, it's um, Content Tech. I believe is the yeah. uh, website for the conference itself. Yes. you can access some of that stuff. Excellent. And when people spin, the, I'll have, I've got two more questions. First one, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, Kathy? Oh, they will find me at contentadvisory.net. They will find me on LinkedIn. My Twitter is at Kathy McKnight, Kathy with a C and McKnight, M-C-K-N-I-G-H-T, all one word. Um, you mentioned generously my podcast, which is unchartedjourneys.net. So if you want to uh -huh. hear uh, some really amazing stories from amazing yes. women uh i strongly recommend go there really really um, solid start with that podcast yeah. i love it and more right. frequently you can find me here so this which is yes great. yes because i'm going to find you here next week you will That's going to be <laughs> splendid. so kathy last agenda item for today uh as uh, the format that was defined by me and jeff uh you need to choose a song what what am i going to play out with all right so again you know you know me, and I'm always vacillating and doing my research. So I was thinking, yes. you know, there was Our House by Madness. So, you know, oh, the foundation nice. and building. There was Build yeah. by the House Martins. A little too nice. mellow for me. I think this one mm -hmm. more goes with Lessons in Love um, by Level 42, because oh. these are lessons and it will help you grow and it's meant mm -hmm. with kindness. So that's the one I'm going for. That's fabulous. Looking forward to playing out with that. Awesome. Thank you very much, Kathy. Good, good choice. Thank you. And uh, and I'll see you next week. Yeah, super. Thanks, Ian. Cheers. Kathy and while my guest might have changed we're still sticking firmly with the 80s classics there lessons in love by level 42 from 1986 splendid chat and if you have any feedback or suggestions you know where to find us on to our guest James Shearer is VP of growth at Codeless as you'll hear he has been a writer editor and inbound marketer since 2013 and loves to see brands grow through content we chat about content one of my favorite topics so I enjoyed this conversation hope you like it Welcome, James, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm very well, Ian. Thank you so much for having me, man. Excited to have you on. Awesome. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself for those that haven't been listening to you on other podcasts. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so I uh, am U.S. kind of born and bred. Uh, I was mm-hmm. an English graduate, uh, but I went to university in Canada because um, I'm, I'm kind of born not, not far from Seattle. So kind of right by the uh-huh. border. Um, yeah. So I went to university, did an English major, met a uh, British girl on exchange. Um, <laughs> so kind of two major things happened there. Firstly, I graduated with an English degree into a world mm-hmm. that didn't really want me for anything more than pouring coffee. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I met a British girl who uh, was uh, captivating. And so I pursued her across the ocean um, and then into a series of um, lovely unpaid internships uh, back in 2000 and kind of 10, 11. Um, and uh, so brought she brought kind of meet me over here. And um, I serendipitously fell my way into marketing, uh, which I always kind of... Yeah. In the back of my mind was an option, but it was kind of like communications, marketing, publishing. What am I doing here? Um, something where I can write. And uh, yeah, I mean, when I kind of fell into content, it was again, yeah, completely coincidental. It was a, it was a, again an unpaid internship. That was a marketing internship. That's what they advertised it as, and uh, yeah. it turned out that it was you know long for blog content creation. And nice. um, suddenly, all of my hours pouring over, you know, um, Austin. And trying to come up with some, you know, something to say about it, uh, kind of, you know, paid off and, uh, I could write and, uh, eventually my kind of BS approach to being an expert in marketing became less a BS approach to being an expert in marketing. Because when you write, you know, a thousand articles in, you know, the first couple of years of, of, of writing and you read a lot and you Mm -hmm. do some stuff, uh, you become not, it's not just BS anymore. Um, yeah, I was lucky. I think that's a great. No, that's great advice. I think for anybody who who writes blogs or does podcasts, mm. I think you should listen to podcasts and I think you should li- read oh, blog yeah. posts and other articles. Right, that's that's where it all. Should you have to know so. what good looks and sounds like. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I love that you faked it until you made it. Oh yeah, we all do. <laughs> I was twenty two. I, I mean, I think every twenty yeah. two year old is faking it till they're making it. <laughs> I, lo- I also uh, love the story about, because um, I was going to ask you how, because we're talking to you in Cardiff, yeah. or I'm not in Cardiff, you're in Cardiff, um, but I can see now how Cardiff and Seattle have got something in common there, because you've got the rain, right? Yeah, so- I was going to say, the grey skies, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that's, and um, you're, you're head of growth at Codeless, yeah. tell us a little bit about Codeless and what Codeless do. Yeah, so when that British wife and I, um, we started traveling the world and um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> took a year off off i was i was freelance writing the entire time and i i freelance wrote for um one of the many great you know marketing uh, content publishing agencies out there um yeah. and but i had been head of inbound at a tech startup in vancouver when i, when I was where i was mm-hmm. living there so when i got into that writing role i was like i want to be doing more um than just writing content so that agency codeless um had been around for a couple years and they had at that time some around 25 freelance writers who created blog content for their primarily SaaS clients. Um, But I, you know, wanted to get into the strategy side of things where I'd been before. So um, I went into editing first for them uh, and then director of editorial. And then, um, yeah, in January, head of growth. And yeah, it's really just about like my my love for content marketing used to be mm-hmm. the act of creation. And now it's the idea of merit-based attraction, um, right. you know, generating clients, leads, sales, business, and growing a business based on the creation of something valuable and educational that 
you know, touches that touch point with prospects is not salesy. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's educational. It's value oriented. Um, yeah. and I, I really, I like that on like a weird moral level as far as if, if mm-hmm. I'm going to do something with, with my life for 40 years, I'd like it mm-hmm. to be something that I feel pretty confident and strong, yeah. strongly about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's and a useful, right? I, yeah. I'm hearing useful in this yes. when you're talking about the content. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, and so, so Codeless are a content marketing agency, yeah. right? So when yeah, I got cool. there, they were content production. I would say, mm-hmm. I would say that yeah. they took a client's, you know, existing content plan and executed it. Mm-hmm. And when I came board, I felt very strongly that something we were missing deliverables wise was providing those clients with a winning content strategy. Here's a, here's a content right. plan that if we execute it, will drive results for you. Um, and so incorporating that into our offering was really, really important to me. And that's what I've been doing over the past couple of years to making that a core right. component of what we do. Right, right. And is that how it came about that you became head of growth? I'm curious about this role, head of growth. So yeah. what does that mean? I mean, head of growth is essentially like head of client growth. So mm-hmm. I do, you know, some internal work as far as growing Codeless itself, um, but it's primarily mm-hmm. focused around uh, developing the content plans and content strategies and meeting with clients and selling them on those strategies. Um, here's what we can do for you. Here's, here's where you're currently at. Here's what we're looking at in your space. Here's your content competition. Um, right. based on what you kind of the contract you have with us, here's what we're going to produce priorities, internal linking. Mm. Um, here's how it's going to be optimized for search, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then consistent talking to them and, and reporting and, and, and developing and tweaking that strategy over the course of the engagement. Um, right. so we have about 14 clients for whom I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing that. Um, mm-hmm. it's one of those interesting jobs because if you can, I don't know, I say this with not a little bit of ego. If you can, you know, be responsible for a content marketing strategy for 14 different clients, then if I ever yeah. wanted to go in house, I think I could do it relatively yeah. confidently because yeah. I've worked in every, I've worked for every, every industry now, you know? Yeah. And that's the wonderful thing about um, having an agency background when you go in house or, mm. um, or consulting is you, you, you pick up so many different experiences of different industries, don't you? Yeah. I've, I've, I've had that experience myself. I think it's great. Um, but anyway, let's get on to one of my favorite topics in our world content. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a really basic question. So, and I'm, I think we're both going to say yes to this, but I'd like a bit more of a intelligent answer than what I would give. Let's no pro- start with no is content marketing <laughs> <laughs> is content marketing still something we should be investing in? Is it something that companies still need to focus on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me give you a case study rather than mm-hmm. just spouting stuff. We had a client yeah. who came on, they were called Early Bird. They did, they were like a financial investment app. Um, yep. and they came on with us about two years ago. They had very low domain authority, um, almost no traffic. They were uh, creating the blog when they started with us. And I'll, I'll yeah. give this example to talk about like how this can still work, essentially how the investment can still pay off. Yeah. So no real blog. Um, we started kind of creating content for them. We uh, implemented uh, the pillar and post method, which I'll talk about, I, I imagine, with you in, in, in a minute, mm-hmm. um, based around uh, three categories of content. We executed, we were doing eight articles per month, which is not out of the realm of possibility for the majority of, of, of businesses out there. Absolutely. All of them high quality, all of them targeting intentional key phrases. And by intentional, I mean, key phrase, uh, you know, creating content that has um, intention, that has a yeah. goal. This is either supporting a very competitive key phrase, a piece of, a piece of content that's targeting a very competitive key phrase, 
or it's focused on conversion, or it's focused on supporting something else, and everything's kind of um, linked together and, and providing this really strong web. So the, the strategy behind it was good. Uh, the content was good. Um, the key phrases and the categories that we targeted for them were uh, attainable for their um, business at that stage. And over the course of the first six months, they went from like 1,000 to 10,000 readers. And then six to nine, they were going, they were increasing um, month on month by about 40 to 50%, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. So by the end of 18 months, they were at 75,000 monthly visitors. Um, so it works yes. is the thing, is the short answer. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's a great story because a couple of things you said there, it sounds like they were in a very highly competitive space. So I think some people sort of just just give up <laughs> at that point and go, oh, you know, how, what can I add to this this wall of noise that's out there already about this topic? And the other one is you mentioned the time frame, which is 18 months, which I think is interesting because that's always been the watchword with content marketing is it's not a quick fix, yeah. right? You need to give it some time. and But the rewards come, don't they? Yeah, which is really, I mean, from a sales perspective, it's difficult to tell a prospect yeah. like, yeah, we're yeah. going to drive results, but you're going to pay us for 18 months before you see anything, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. which is challenging. But, you know, I, I think it's not, as you say, a lot of mm. businesses know that, that content yeah. is not a quick win. It's a yeah. slow burn that... Mm -hmm. Um, from an ROI perspective, um, the, I guess the idea behind content creation is that you invest in, in a piece of content one time and, yeah. um, it, it climbs slowly up the search engine results pages towards yeah. first position towards the traffic position. But once it gets there and say you've spent thousand plus dollars on every single individual article, once yeah. it gets there, it consistently drives traffic, right. theoretically leads and theoretically sales for years. Whereas with something right. like CPC, you're investing every mm -hmm. single, you know, every single click mm -hmm. you're paying for mm -hmm. every time, mm -hmm. every month, every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very different ROI in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. But also I think that both of them complement each other, don't they? I mean, the, the PPC king and paying, paying for clicks can help you along the way, totally. but it's gotta be you, the, where people land and the quality of the content the usefulness of the content is going to keep them isn't it yeah. because you're just making an introduction to your content with ppc is whether that relationship continues is in your content marketing isn't it yeah absolutely i mean also um there are businesses for whom you know social ppc and content can all drive traffic leads and yeah. sales and there are businesses yeah. for whom social doesn't work there are some B2B yeah. businesses out there selling whatever, trucks, um, for mm. whom social may not be the best investment. Equally, there are businesses for whom content may not necessarily be the investment, uh, best investment. If you're in an right. incredibly competitive space, dominated yeah. completely by, um, if, if, you, if you do CRM, marketing automation, and sales yeah. funnel content, yeah. um, and every key phrase for which you want to rank is HubSpot's like, hi. <laughs> Every single one of them, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It, we're going to have a more challenging time and there may be better yeah. options for you. And the thing I think an optimized PPC campaign can work for almost every business in some capacity. Um, yeah. So it's, it's weighing up what works. And it's, I mean, it's all about testing anyway, right? Like you, yeah. the thing with content is you test it for a year rather than like testing it for a few weeks. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm interested in your process. So I think we'll probably move on to that, the pillar and post sure. um, process, but also the research that must go into you defining that content strategy. So um, I don't want to preempt you describing the pillar and post, but what's the research that goes into before you start that? So you were saying you researched the keywords, mm -hmm. you, you agreed that with the client, and that's what you're going to go for. How did you go about that process? 
I mean, going back to the, you know, the, the HubSpot, for instance, is like yeah. there are, um, we, whenever we get a new client, we take a look at, okay, mm-hmm. what, what stage of growth are they at? What, and yeah. the, a primary though, somewhat dissatisfying metric there is, is domain ranking. So we're saying this yeah. is not everything that is, that matters here, <laughs> yeah. but it is a good yeah. indicator of your site strength yeah. from an SEO perspective. Yeah. So yeah. we say, okay, if you have a DR of 35, then mm-hmm. us attempting to rank for uh, any key phrase that has a competitiveness level of more than you know 85, 70, or even you know mm-hmm. even uh, 65, um, is pie in the sky and extremely challenging. <laughs> so the long term, yeah. so we yeah. say, okay, if you have a DR of thirty five, then the pillars, the 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 the, the far reaching um, mm-hmm. search terms for which we believe you could rank are yeah. fifty, kind of KD. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that we're going to have to build to with supporting content that is right. lower KD or lower competitiveness level and perhaps lower search volume. Right. But right. we frame a content plan around what does your business want to be found for? Um, mm-hmm. And in general, I break that up into, into three categories, three to five categories, depending on how much content you want to produce every month. And mm-hmm. those categories are based on your primary services. Yeah. And also um, consider that, you know, you can have one category that is very low volume, but very high intent. Yeah. That can be a really yeah. valuable, you know, category of content produce. So mm-hmm. understanding that a content plan is built, not based on like, what do we want to rank for? But mm-hmm. what do we want to rank for that we can rank for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a pragmatism yeah. about about what you can do? I, I love that. And so let's get on to the pillar and post content mm. strategy then. I've heard you talk about this before, so I'm really interested in sharing this with the listeners. So what's your pillar and post content strategy? Okay. So we have three th- we have three categories for which, you know, mm. of of umbrella ideas that your brand wants to rank for based on your services, based on your products or whatever. Within each category, there are pillar search terms. A pillar right. search term is either a highly a high volume, high competitive um, search term for which yeah. like if you rank for that search term, you're getting a lot of traffic. Right. Usually those, uh, a lot of the pillars that we create content around are top of funnel because mm-hmm. those are the high volume key phrases. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a pillar could be a very high intent search term. For instance, if you're doing project management, then a high intent search term is project management software because right. only people who are searching for that project management, they want to know what it is. Project management software, they mm-hmm. want to know, they want to get a list of people that offer it. So yeah. that can be, you know, intent can also be, um, can also get when you're measuring, which is pillars and which is posts, yeah. um, intent can be a variable there. So right. for each category, we create three pillars, three to five pillars of content, or mm-hmm. uh, kind of high competitive, high volume search terms, that we are targeting with high investment. Um, those articles or guides or whatever are tend to be 2000 plus words because there is serious investment of what your time and energy. Mm-hmm. They're all optimized from the back end and the front. We're talking about high quality images, um, you know, uh, links to your existing content, um, your service pages, et cetera, and, you know, optimized for search in a number of different ways. Um, so great content, your great content. And then we create yeah. within that category, 15 to 20 support articles that are right. designed to internally link back to your pillars and support those pillars. Now mm-hmm. they also need to support each other. We're talking about kind of yeah. intentional site mapping. Um, but the goal of those articles is to get them to rank more quickly 
And mm -hmm. as a result, the internal link value of a ranking URL is higher. So we create right. the pillars first, we get them indexed. They are alive on yeah. your site so that every piece of content we create afterwards can link back to them. Those yeah. low competition, perhaps lower volume search terms that are supporting those pillars rank more quickly. Mm -hmm. Then right. the internal link value is increased and ideally the pillars rank in the long term. And you do right. that, for me at least, you do that for every category at the same time. Right. Because you never know which category is going to naturally click with yeah. Google. And yeah. so you create content kind of um, at the, you know, consecutively or like not consecutively uh, at, at, the, at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah. And whichever one after three to six months happens to click yeah. most readily with Google, that's the one you double yeah. down on in months right. six to nine, nine to 12. Right, right. So you create the pillars first yeah. and then you start doing the post content and then whichever pillar appears to be uh, or category. catching people's imagination because yeah. i care as much yeah. about the support content that's, that's beginning to rank yeah. than i do it, yeah. the pillar may not yeah but if the category yeah. support content is i'm golden yeah and you're getting some resonance with the with the audience yeah and am i get am i understand this correctly the pillar content is more bigger long form and post content is lighter or is that not yeah that's in general that's in general yeah. true yeah. um yeah. A, a note here to to make very clearly is that um I'm a big proponent of optimization of existing content, massive proponent yeah. of it actually. I think that often yeah. with new clients, especially if they've been you know, writing or creating content or any of your listeners who've been creating content for a yeah. while, the low hanging fruit yeah. on your site is the existing content you have yeah. that could be Absolutely. tweaked and optimized. Yeah. So when we're talking about um, invest, investment in content, we invest mm -hmm. most clearly in pillar content. We invest perhaps a little bit less in each support piece. But when mm -hmm. that support piece, and this is why analytics is so incredibly important, when that support content or the pillar content begins to move yeah. towards a traffic driving position, which is one through yeah. seven, realistically, yeah. um, then we go back in. Once it gets like nine or 10, make sure mm -hmm. to go back into all of those URLs, make sure that they're A, optimized for the key phrase that they're like just off a traffic driving position for, mm -hmm. but also make sure that they are up to date with statistics, up to date with what yeah. you're currently offering product and service wise, yeah. um, add, you know, those custom images. So invest initially on optimizing them for search, but then go yeah. back in once they're getting towards, you know, eighth, right. ninth, tenth, and go back in and make them excellent because there's no real point yeah. until you have traffic organically no because we're we're, we're 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 obsessed with youth when it comes to content right is and, it, and you should go back look at your old stuff refresh it and bring that and also i like the discipline there because yeah. what i'm hearing when you're talking about pillars is just talk about these five th these five things right and stick to those five things and then see which one resonates yeah. and then and then double down on that one which i think is great because quite often you see blog strategies which is just like whatever they thought of that day yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? just because i need to get three blog posts out this week so bam bam that's it so i, I love that so that's great i love that pillar and post content strategy um is and uh, presumably you've got that somewhere and I'll, I'll add some links to the show notes where people can read about that sure. a bit more right so i'm going to get to my final question because we're running out of time uh we have a regular feature on the rockstar cmo swimming pool where we throw all the bullshit snake on and overhype trends that plague this industry we love what would you chuck in I am very fed up with low quality content ranking because uh -huh. the domain has high authority. Um, right. That exhausts me <laughs> as, a, <laughs> as a content strategist who's responsible for, you know, developing content plans and creating really good content. A lot of our yeah. clients are early stage, you know, they're just investing in content now um, and they're creating really high quality stuff, but better stuff than what is currently on the first page of Google. 
uh, and that that that's really challenging. So I would love to see Google adapt its algorithm to try to find and i recognize that they're 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 trying to do it by rewarding high domain authority sites theoretically these are sites that get link backs and people seem to love them and they have to have traffic and stuff but just because a site meets those variables has high traffic has a bunch of backlinks to it etc does not mean it's good i mean we both i'm sure could rattle off a few sites that (laughs) don't meet those criteria well i i refuse to share any link on forbes anymore because it's such a fucking ad i completely agree with you yeah yeah um, as somebody who's written some of those like articles, um, quote unquote, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the content sometimes good. It's just the whole experience is dreadful. So, yeah, yeah, there's that, but there's also sometimes the content yeah. isn't bad. I mean, their no, their contributor uh, standards are um, need some yeah. some looking at. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and then and then clients, you know, we have or or some of your listeners who are creating really amazing yeah. content don't get rewarded yeah. for it simply because they're not those you know, 90 DR sites. And that's really, it's, it's exhausting for the content creators and it's frustrating for the business owners. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. And no, it's like for any creator, right? The, the challenge, and that's why a lot of blogs and podcasts and everything die so quickly, yeah. don't they? Is because people get discouraged because they don't get the resonant, they, they don't, the good stuff doesn't get picked up. Yeah. The bad stuff doesn't get picked up. I don't know, but nothing gets picked up on it. Yeah. They, they become discouraged. That's excellent. Thank you very much. Everything that I, I mean, I could carry on chatting to you all afternoon. I love to yeah, about content, but uh, if the listener wants to find you and they spin the dial on the interwebs, where where will that be? I mean, you could go to LinkedIn, James Shear. The last name is a bit funky. It's S-C-H-E-R-E-R. Uh, or honestly, I mean, head to the website, codeless.io. Um, okay. And realistically, I, as you say, I'm happy to talk about this stuff all day as well. Feel free to email me, <laughs> james at codeless.io. I will, you know, if, if you want to talk content strategy, I'm, I'm usually Splendid. into it, so... Me up. Splendid. Well, I'll include all your links in the show notes. Thanks very much for your time, James. Thanks so much, Ian. We'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. James, I was able to indulge some of my favourite topics there. And I will, of course, include all his links in the show notes, which you can find at rockstarcmo.com. Right, it's Friday evening. Time to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and find my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. I hope you can hear me above all the noise. It's it 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 <laughs> seems. I, I guess you've taken the whole Top Gun Maverick thing to another level uh, here because <laughs> we have an aircraft carrier here that is. I, I uh, hold on. We'll just wait for the jet to go by here. Uh, yeah, you're launching jets into the air. Uh, that's. I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty amazing that you've been able to fit you. Uh, an aircraft carrier here in, inside the bar and with all these Top Gun pilots around as well. Yeah, well, I heard it was uh, one of your favorite films this year, so I, I thought I'd lay it on special. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just fantastic. All right, well, we'll we'll try and fight our way above the noise here and, and, uh-huh. and, 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 and pour ourselves a drink. So mm-hmm. this, um, I have something special for us. Um, I am normally not a frou-frou umbrella drink kind of guy Mm -hmm. but it is just ungodly hot here in southern california (laughs) and i needed something that was frozen and fun 
and truly uh, an umbrella sit by the pool kind of uh, drink. Yes. So t- tonight, I'll be making us uh, banana daiquiris. Ooh. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, and a banana daiquiri. Banana is one of my favorite things to have frozen. Um, and so uh, the banana daiquiri, of course, is, you know, I mean, it's going to, it's it's a little bit of a thing um, that you're going to have to make and you basically have to put it into a blender and, and with crushed ice and, you know, basically blitzing it all into smooth, sort of a smoothie mm-hmm. consistency. But it basically is a good amount of white rum, um, right. a little bit of banana liqueur, which always adds to the banana taste, and then some lime juice, and of course, a ripe banana, and then a bunch of crushed ice. You throw all that into a blender, you blend all that up into a beautiful smoothie type thing, top it off with a maraschino cherry and a giant umbrella, uh, and wow. away you go to the pool and, and hang out in the hot sun. Splendid. If my uh, desktop bar was by the pool, I think that's what I would need to have here. But let me see what ingredients I've got on my desktop bar and see if I can make me one of them. All right, so I haven't got a blender. (laughs) I do, however, have ice. So uh, I shall toss in some ice into my drink. Um, What was the liquor that you were pouring in there? Uh, You will be putting in banana liqueur. White banana rum, liqueur. lime um, juice, a banana, um, probably uh, nothing that you have, um, uh, and have perhaps been. you've got crushed ice, but I doubt you even have that. <laughs> I have the most English of white rums. Yes. I have some Hendrix gin. Ah, I see. And then, you know, we can't grow bananas natively here in, in, the, in the UK. Um, that does well, not surprise I, me. Yes, but we can grow cucumbers. So I'm going to go with some... That's the most English of bananas is the cucumber. the most English of bananas. Sure. Yes. I'm going to go with some uh, cucumber tonic water. Stick that in there. Let's have a look. It's a taste. Mmm. Oh, that is a great recommendation on hot day, Robert. I could drink one of these every week. That's delicious. Oh, there you go. Thank you very much. And what are we calling that? Uh, we're calling that well. Um, we're, we're loosely calling it a banana daiquiri, but um, I think we'll we'll see how that works out. Yes, I'm, I've got faint hints of English banana in mine. <laughs> very nice. Thank you very much, mate. And uh, where are we going to be whisking ourselves away to be drinking these? Well, we have to be by the pool because I mean, yes. I, it's just too damn hot to be anywhere else, and yes. so. Um, there is a place down here in, uh, in Southern California that I would take you to. It is one of yes. my favorite places in all of California. It's in a place called Laguna Niguel, uh, which is just north of San Diego and south of Los Angeles, obviously. Um, and it's an absolutely spectacular place. Uh, there is a hotel there in Laguna Niguel where you can, there is a pool uh, that is a beautiful, wonderful, and adults-only pool, I should say. So there's no <laughs> screaming kids with floaties hanging around um, or splashing you or screaming and yelling. It's all uh-huh. adults, so it's very nice and quiet and peaceful. And you can sit by the pool, and the bartenders and waiters will bring out food for you and drinks for you. And, of course, they'll bring out a banana daiquiri for us. But the whole pool is on a ledge that overlooks the ocean, which is just absolutely spectacular so we're going to sit by the pool swim occasionally drink banana daiquiris and just overlook the ocean oh my god man 
I, 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 I just want to sit and drink that in and, uh, and not necessarily talk about marketing this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> once we've had enough of that view, which I doubt you one would, uh, what, uh, what would conversation turn to this week, Robert? Well, before we get too many daiquiris in, it's a bit of an esoteric mm-hmm. discussion. Um, uh-huh. You know, how, how many times in your career when you've been advising your clients or your bosses or when you've been trying to affect some amount of change in an organization, have you heard the term, well, the ship is just so hard to turn? Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it, we no, hear it never a lot. Heard that. <laughs> yeah, we hear it a lot, um, and and it's usually when you're trying to affect some kind of change yeah. management on existing processes, yeah. and and basically what yeah. happens is is that people lament that it's extremely difficult to make this change because in order to do the new thing, we have to stop or change an old thing, and unfortunately, there's institutional momentum, the ship in this case, for the thing we want to stop doing. And, uh, you know, or the thing that we want to do differently is, is just too strong. But then you go, okay, well, why not just stop doing the old thing? And and the answer that comes back is, I don't know. (laughs) It's literally, (laughs) I don't know. And what it comes down to is sometimes we don't know that we know. And, you know, so here's an example of this, right? So just recently was working with this B2B healthcare company. And so basically over the last four years, if you were to plot out, and we did plot out all their content, like by blog posts, by case studies, by brochures, content hubs, infographics, webinars, uh, and so on and so forth, the quantity increased. The total quantity Mm -hmm. of everything increased. Mm -hmm. However, if you look at all those content types by content type, blog posts, analyst research, case studies, brochures, you know, infographics, et cetera, all of them went down in terms of quantity, except for one, which in this case was webinars. And webinars went from ostensibly a dozen or so that they produced in, in, you know, four years ago to now almost 60. In in other words, they went from producing one a month to one a week um, in the course of four years. And to the detriment, obviously, of everything else. They basically became a webinar machine, but basically decreased everything else they were doing. Mm -hmm. And your first reaction might be, ah, well, that's because webinars are so amazing for their strategy. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Nope. Spoiler alert. They're not. And in fact, every year following the second year when they they decided that they were going to double down on webinars, well, their content efforts have been basically lower than average from a performance perspective and lead generation and awareness and all that stuff. So it's like, okay, well, why, why are you continuing to do webinars and increase them? Well, because that's why, (laughs) you know, in 2018, they got good at producing them. 2019 comes around, new content person comes in and hears from the powers that be that webinars was the focus of your predecessor. So she doubles down on them. In 2020, webinars are seen as the way that the team can basically still do stuff as a way to continue their content program during lockdown. So they double down again. In 2021, they wanted to get back to the basics of what they've been doing that had been, you know, quote unquote, they've been doing for so many years. So they doubled down again in webinars. They didn't basically, they didn't know what they really knew, which was they should stop doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And so it gets to, there's a wonderful model um, that I have uh, seen out there 
Um, you know, it, it, it goes back to uh, this thing called, it's called the Johari window model. It's a, basically a, a reflection for self-awareness of communication, basically. Mm-hmm. And the way you look at it is you, you sort of chart this out and you look at it against four what they call windows. Um, but they're really just questions that you answer, which is, one, what are the things that we know we know? Two, what are the things that we know we don't know? And three... <laughs> What are the things that we don't know that we don't know? And then lastly, which is the most insidious and what we've just been talking about, what are the things that we don't know that we know? And it can sound confusing, but basically it's the unknown known where, um, you know, it's, it's basically when we intentionally refuse to acknowledge something that we know. And why do we do that? There are many reasons. In businesses, there are sort of, Things that get this institutional momentum, not because they're productive or useful, but we just we just keep them alive because why? I don't know. We just do. You know, that that same company, interestingly enough, um, in a different whole different part of their business, its email newsletter had 10,000 active subscribers that had gone over the last four years to less than uh, 100. But yet they still continually spend thousands of dollars on doing the content for this email newsletter that has literally gone to zero. And why? Well, because they just need to make sure that the enterprise email system will continue to get invested in. So if they continue to use it, it continues to get investment. Right. And so doing the, asking those questions becomes incredibly important because it starts to illuminate the things that institutionally we know, but we don't know. Right. And and if we answer all the questions, what are the things that we should continue doing? What yeah. are the new things that we should change or add? What are the things that we should explore that we have no idea that what they are, just things we need to go figure out? And then lastly, most importantly, what are the things that we have to acknowledge that we really know that we should change and stop or basically yeah. stop doing? And it's that last category that's such an important piece of reviewing our marketing strategy every year. Yeah, I love the I love these models that you come up with, Robert, or that you you share with us. So, did you say that was the Johari window model? That's right. That's right. And you can look it up, and it's it's yeah. pretty well established. I'll, I'll include a link to model. It. So it's, um, it's, it's basically know. used in personal communications, yeah, for the most right. part. But but it's great for looking at your content strategy as well. Right. So it's what we know we know, what we know we don't know, what we don't know what we know, and then what we don't know what that we, we don't know. know. <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Man. It's, well, it's like this. It's 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 simple. Yeah. It's things we know yeah. we know. We yeah. know we're bad at measurement. Yeah. We know we're not producing enough. Um, yeah. You know, infographics. We, you know, we know we're not good at this. We know we have a problem here. We yeah. know this. Yeah. Then there are the things we know we don't know. Yeah. We don't know how to capture first party data. We 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 don't, you know, we tried a content hub and we just weren't any good at it. But so yeah. we know we don't know how to do that. Then there are the things we don't know we don't know. What is this whole yeah. e-commerce thing all about? I, we don't know. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. we just we don't know what we don't know, right? We, yeah. Where are the traps that'll get, you know, if we want to do um, something like a blog, what is that what what are the traps that we might fall into? We don't know. Yeah. We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And then the last one is what are the things that we don't know that we know? And where, yeah. where that is, is like, you know, we have not collectively recognized the fact that our webinar program is off the rails. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, 
we just we we don't know that we actually do know what's going on there. We have not acknowledged it yet. Yeah. And we need to acknowledge those things and say them out loud so that we can actually fix them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I sh- I I wanted to make sure that the listener heard each of those steps and because it's great. I and I should have thanked Dennis Shaw last week um when when you were on because he um he shared another one of your models, didn't he, of the reviewing uh, your your progress in his own newsletter. So if, if, if Dennis is listening, maybe he's going to share this one as well. But this is excellent. And what happened with your client? Did they actually see the light and decide that webinars weren't for them? They did, actually. Yeah. yeah they yeah. they Once they acknowledged it, I mean, and honestly, it was our work to sort of do a content audit that showed that. Yeah. Um, because what they sort of do instinctively um, – they uh, they now saw sort of yeah, yeah. somebody throw in, you know, basically, you know, yeah. here it is in black and white. In this case, <laughs> yeah. multiple colors on a PowerPoint slide. Um, <laughs> and and basically what, you know, once they acknowledged that they were that they everybody knew that they were producing way too many webinars at the detriment of everything else. It was OK. Why are we not doing that? And as it turns out. Basically, everybody sort of subconsciously said, well, the reason that we're not acknowledging that is because if we say we're producing too many webinars, it suggests that we know how many webinars we should be producing. Ah, yes. And and when we don't have a content strategy, when we don't have a mm. purpose behind what we're actually doing, mm. we default to these institutional mom- momentum things because nobody's afraid to change the direction yeah. of the ship because – that suggests that we know the right direction to point it. Yeah. And that's the real challenge, right? But, is, yeah. is, is, is understanding that we have to make a choice about where we want to direct things before we can stop the, the momentum of the ship. You know, in other words, yeah. you want to turn the ship. Yeah. It's really hard to turn the ship, but in order to turn it, you got to know which way you want to turn it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, I think symptomatic of something we discussed a few weeks ago was, um, is, I guess an organization that gets good at good at doing webinars and they can they can execute on on them they can do them one a week and everybody's counting the number of content items that they're producing because that's what they're rewarded by they 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 they're going to lean on where they're good aren't they rather than um, well as it yeah as it turns out they can do both right they can both yeah. you know by by suggesting that you know by seeing how it was to the detriment of the production of everything yeah. else yeah. it started to say okay maybe we should decrease the number yes. of webinars and that probably that's probably the right answer anyway but more yeah. importantly is how are we repurposing and reusing the content we're creating yes. for webinars into other things like blog posts yeah. and white papers and you know yeah. ebooks and other other elements where we can reuse a lot of that content yeah. in better more effective ways perhaps mm-hmm. so that we rebalance the output mm-hmm. for you know uh, so that we're measuring apples to apples in terms of what it is we're doing but B, more importantly, we're getting the same or more output from the same amount of content we're producing. Oh, that's so important. That is so important because so many, so many organizations perform these random acts of content, don't they? And there's no coherent strategy around it. There's no reuse. There's no um, key. Because, I mean, if you're doing anything, a webinar, white paper or anything, what, 60% of the time is probably coming up with the idea and formulating it, isn't it? The rest is execution. And if you can leverage that first 60% across a number of different assets, then you're, you're winning. Yeah. It's, you yeah. know, and, and, and webinars are especially insidious at that because yeah. by default, they, they require people who 
who, um, you know, who will necessarily like participating in them. Yeah. You know, because they feed an ego of an executive yeah. or they're, you know, they're very, they're very, you know, visible in the organization. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's not like your sort of, you know, quiet white paper that goes out and sits on a resource center. A webinar is an event, right? So yeah. there's a lot of visibility that they typically get. So doubling down on webinars at its surface from, hey, how do I make myself as a content practitioner more visible? Webinars are, yeah. you know, a default right, way right. that that can happen because they're just simply more visible within the organization yeah. and get more attention. But the question is, is that you can, as this company did, go down that road too far where that's all you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I love it. And I, I imagine that there's quite a lot of marketing teams that are probably guilty of, of that. So I think that's an excellent point. I love well, that the, model. The, what they're mostly guilty of is not understanding, like not knowing where they yes. are. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, Absolutely. if you go, how many webinars versus eBooks versus white papers yeah. versus blog posts did you produce last year? Yeah. Most of them will go, uh, I, uh, yeah. I can go count, you know, yeah. but they don't have a good view into that. Yeah, no, I can't right now, Robert, because I'm really busy producing this webinar. I'm on exactly the hamster wheel. Right. I'm doing That's the next exactly one. I'm doing the next right. one. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right. I love it. And then um, where can folks find thoughts just like this one, Robert? Well, you'll find some of it on our website, which is contentadvisory.net. The dad Fabulous. genes of domains. <laughs> Fabulous. And when we spin the dial on the internet, where are we going to find you? Uh, LinkedIn would be a great place these days. I've mm. been spending a lot more time there um, yeah. and, uh, and really enjoying it. I, it seems like I use LinkedIn just about every day these days. Yeah, cool. And, uh, and what about uh, your, your, your little project? How's that going? My little project is going very well. Thank you for asking, mm -hmm. um, and thank you for being a part of it. It's experienceadvisors.io, um, yes. and where we're gathering people who are professionals in the space, um, meaning you either internally advise your clients or externally advise clients, or you yourself create content and customer experiences that are really meant for good uh, in the world. And so... Uh, basically, if you're of any kind of advisor in the experience space, a storyteller, a student, a strategist, uh, come on over and apply for membership. And we're having some nice conversation. I love it. And speaking of nice conversation, will I see you in the bar next week? Well, of course. And I'm hoping we'll get to see a little bit of Tom Cruise here with the, with the <laughs> top sort of thing we got going he, on. He's shy of the microphone, mate. He'll, he'll pop out when, we, when, I, when I click on stop. There we go. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. I never know what I know I don't know until Robert comes into the bar. So that's a wrap on episode 122 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Kathy, James, and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello to them. I'll include all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.com, where you can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. So, does the world need another Epic Marketing Podcast? Let us know on the socials or drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, while Jeff continues his break, Kathy McKnight will be back. I'm looking forward to chatting with Kurt Gendon, CEO of True Voice, and Robert will be back in our virtual bar. 
Until then, have a great week. And I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.